you do have a mustache and you don't have a shirt. <laughs> this is off to one hell of a start. <laughs> Woo! Welcome into Chasing Interesting. I'm Craig Hoffman. Happy to be with you once again. And despite his best efforts to get fired in the 20 minutes preceding this recording, Joe Girard <laughs> is back once again. Ah, oh, love, love the technical aspects of all this madness. Ah, uh, good to be back, Mr. Craig. Good to be alongside, virtually. Uh, emotionally and spiritually with you today. If it wasn't all three, then um, I might have just kicked you out a window. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's fine. But we got your we got your Zoom working now. We got your recorder working. We're going to have a great podcast, and I'm excited about it's, it. It's going to be a beautiful day. And thank you, as always, for having me and not getting rid of me after week one. Yes. Uh, week one wasn't the issue. It was prior to week two, oh. just to be very, very specific. Uh, so here's what we got coming up on the show. Uh, we will get all into the Democratic National Convention coming up uh, in our important and interesting segment. Uh, of course, look good, feel good, do good to end the show where we give you something to go out and do this week to make the world a better place and uh, something to watch, you know, all that kind of good stuff. And uh, we're going to start, though, a little getting to know, though, Joe, because uh, as as... People that have been fans of yours, listen, uh, because you're sharing this, and as people that have been fans of mine, listen, and are sharing this, uh, they need to get to know the other one. So my fans need to get to know you a little bit, your fans need to get to know me a little bit, and so uh, I know you want to talk about a, a little bit of, you know, since our paths split, since last week we talked about yeah. our paths coming together, so uh, what would you, you want to talk about? Well, I mean, yeah, I think that's a good point. Like, a lot of people who follow you don't know much about me and and vice versa. So I just, I kind of wanted to dive into more of what you've been up to the past few years. Um, I know you've traveled around a little bit, as have myself. So after we left South Carolina, I moved to Los Angeles, uh, Mm -hmm. got into film and television, worked on a bunch of production shows, uh, worked for a movie star, and then now I'm working in management. And that's what I've been doing for the past, I guess, two, two and a half years. I work for uh, a big group out here, and we're an international group, and we work with actors, writers, directors, uh, producers, and uh, you know, it's it's been great. Uh, you know, I I love working with talent. I love to strategize and take people to the next level, and um, it's it's been a, it's been a great ride thus far. You've done some some pretty cool stuff. I mean, and like a wide variety of things, which I think is the the cool part. Is like you've worked on game shows. You've also the the movie star you worked with was like true A list. I'll let you say his his or her name if you'd like, but true A list level level celebrity. Um, and you know now the 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 talent management side, just taking other people's career and as someone who was an air talent yourself for quite a while to to take that skill set and knowledge of what it's like to be in that space and and try to enhance people's careers i think is really cool yeah uh, yeah no and i agree i think i take all that experience that i've had with radio and 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 now doing doing uh the side of the management side it just it just it just helps it kind of ups my game and i can put people in situations that i've seen before i i know how to uh, help folks when they're you know trying to get casted for shows or for features or you know that kind of thing how it takes to negotiate deals what that looks like there's, there's a lot of business side to the entertainment uh, world and and as an actor or an artist it's you don't really necessarily know that world so I come in it and I kind of help navigate and make sure everything gets gets handled properly you know what I mean yeah for sure because I know for me on you know the, a talent side of things in my world like i hate that stuff i hate it so much and most people do by the way 
Yeah, Most people if hate I get that. to a point where I'm big enough to hire you, uh, I'll let you know. <laughs> Please uh, call we'll me. See. Yeah, Please I, call I got me. your number, allegedly. Uh, and you even pick up the phone when I call, which is nice. Which is nice, yeah. So, uh, you know, and me and you always kind of stayed in contact, and I know you moved to Texas for a minute. Um, yeah. So tell me what you were doing down there. So I graduated from, from school in 2012, uh, had a quick, brief, and end of my music career run uh, in, in Lawrence, Kansas, where I was doing a combination job, sports radio and music radio. And uh, then 10 months later, I was in Dallas, Texas, working for ESPN Radio and did basically everything for them. Um, so I was, my main, like, job was I was an anchor so I did like the sports updates at the top and bottom of the hour and was running the board actually uh thankfully I learned how to do uh, you know the behind the scenes stuff too uh for our main talk shows there our local shows and then uh hosting on the weekends I did a, a specialty Mavs magazine like NBA show for the the basketball team down there so a lot of different stuff did some TV I got to be on sports center once that was cool nice paid paid to be the Jewish kid on Christmas Eve. They needed someone. And I was like, yeah, I'm not doing anything. Pick me. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, and then, so that's good footage to have. So as your manager, we would take that and put it towards a reel and get you other work. So hang on. I have, I have that. I have, oh, I have good. the footage of me on the sports center, the real good one enough. too. It's a funny story. Maybe we'll tell that story sometime. Uh, Cause how it came together and uh, also where it was, uh, was, was pretty funny. Um, but after, so 2015, uh, about two and a half years in Dallas, I came to D.C., uh, where I was hired to be the Washington football team beat reporter for the flagship station. Uh, they dissolved that position after my first season, and then the other station in town, the, the number one sports talk station, 106.7 The Fan, picked me up first part-time doing pre- and post-game, and then uh, as their full-time beat reporter for the Washington football team. And So I was in that position for three years until February uh, when I took a job as the executive producer for the Washington Spirit. Spirit are the NWSL, National Women's Soccer League team. Uh, and so it was, it was a chance to explore a lot more than radio uh, and, and be really creative in a way that I didn't and work with people that I was passionate in elevating. And I got to know some of the players last year when I started to get involved with the club a little bit on the periphery and just really loved you know, watching them work and, and what they're about. The, the, the players that I work with are just incredible people beyond incredible athletes. But they're also incredible athletes. And so the chance to tell their stories on a more intimate level and in different ways and creative ways was something that really appealed to me. And so um, approached the owner who I had a, a relationship with and a friendship with and said, hey, what do you think? And uh, came together and that's what I've been doing since February. Getting to know you, getting to know... That's beautiful, Craig. I'm, you, you know how proud I am of, of you, and you keep it moving, and you don't really settle for for anything, and you take your, your stuff to the next level, always networking, always reaching out to people. You're very good at that, and uh, I, I, like, I like what you're up to. I, like what I appreciate that. I like that. That. that was heartfelt, and I'm just you know trying to make my mentor proud. That's right, baby. That's right. Even Moving if, forward. Even even if currently I, I wanted to fire him before the show and he has <laughs> a terrible mustache and was not wearing a shirt. Important and interesting this week, uh, not Joe and I's very special relationship, maybe the interesting part. I really don't know how important it is outside this podcast, but the Democratic National Convention in everywhere, technically in Milwaukee, mm. but it is the convention across America. And I'm not going to lie, Joe, I think this thing's been awesome. Like, this has been so much better than a regular convention. Yeah. I mean, on a production level, I think they're doing a great job. Seriously. Yeah. 
I mean, th- this is hard. Like remote stuff when you you're this spread out in this many places, and you have to minimize your staffing and all that kind of stuff with everything because you're trying to minimize human contact. Like this stuff's hard, and you know that's the like my whole job right now is how do I do this with the the, the least amount of people possible? Um, and I'm sure you're dealing with the same thing. Like what productions are are going on, and how do you minimize the number of people involved while maximizing the quality? And what what's happening is though. The entire convention is happening in two hours, where typically because it's literally this all-day event, you have all these meaningless speeches, you have all this like riffraff crap that happens and is really boring. And basically what they've done is taken the best stuff and put it together. So I actually think this is working on a really high level. And what has been so impressive to me, there's a number of things that have been impressive, but I, I think one of the most impressive is after, you know, a couple years worth, it felt like a story. I mean, really decades worth, but especially during the primary of these Dems in disarray story, like, oh my God, the Democrats, they're eating each other alive. The unity displayed by the Democratic Party right now and how they are all in one united mission to get Joe Biden elected and to push for progressive policies and how they have been said, hey, I might disagree on how we get to this. You know, Bernie said this the other night in his speech, which I thought was fantastic to, to talk about, like, you know, we may disagree on how to get health care for everybody, but we're going to get health care for everybody. And to, to really have defined mission statements and to be united around them and that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the people that can lead us there. I think they've done an incredible job of, of sending their message uh, on not just the anti-Trump part of it, which we'll get to, but the not just giving someone you know people something to vote against but something to vote for. Yeah. No, I and I think I think it's it's really coming together well. I really uh I, I thought it was interesting that a, a few prominent Republicans joined joined in uh Colin Powell, um Cindy McCain, John McCain's wife who are, you know, internationally known as Republicans and and very well respected, jumped on board with the DNC uh really uh and, and given their stamp of approval for for Joe Biden and and wanting to see a change and wanting us to move forward with things and 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 that was that was something to see to be honest that was really kind of cool yeah and, and I think that and we'll talk a little bit about some of the the selections on speeches and things uh, in a little bit uh, with welcome to my lawn um, but what I think is clear and, and what is actually here's the point i think is actually more interesting uh, in you know the concept of chasing interesting here something that's, that's not nearly as talked about enough is democrats have a much harder job than republicans especially with the way the two parties are trending because republicans have just gone all in on this like grievance white men are the only people that matter strategy which makes it very easy to select speakers it makes it very easy to find your audience because everyone's like all right, who's mad at people that aren't white and at people that aren't men? Okay, yeah. like those are our people, right? Like, and if you have that common hatred to go around, like you get a very f- defined audience. The Democrats were already a big tent party and are now expanding. And so what you're seeing is trying to get everybody from a conservative Democrat who you know, doesn't believe in Medicare for all, doesn't believe in, in some of the more progressive policy choices, but still believes that we should be fighting for equality, we should be fighting for decency, that our democracy matters, and that voting rights, you know, and, and all these things that, you know, some of which we talked about last week, that all these things matter to the extremely progressive, we have to have Medicare for all, you know, we have to do X, Y, and Z, like this, you know, 
as left as is you know as mainstream allows or even sometimes beyond that um and trying to speak to all of them and that's a really different challenge and a really tough challenge from a messaging standpoint and i actually think the democratic party with their variants of speakers with some of the messages that have been delivered on a universal level and by clearly establishing the stakes here of like what another four years of Donald Trump would mean, yeah. have gotten everybody under that quote unquote big tent. Mm, that's a that's a yeah no you're absolutely right there. And then also I, you know I thought this was interesting because there was a little bit of controversy with it, and maybe you can help me understand it more. Was when AOC jumped on and she nominates Bernie and she doesn't mention Joe Biden, and people were kind of up upheaval they were kind of like hey what's up there that was disrespectful but like she was just kind of doing what she had to do by the way in 90 seconds she didn't even have a full five minutes she did it in such a small amount of time so explain that process yeah i'm gonna say this is this week's welcome to my lawn what happens in uh nominating conventions is if there's a certain threshold met by any candidate during the primaries they get to technically be nominated. And then typically what happens, if Bernie Sanders did this, is said, like, thank you for your nomination, but I'm going to give my delegates to whoever. And they become the nominee. And so because Bernie Sanders did so well in the primary, he met the threshold, so he gets officially nominated. Is this all, you know, legal mumbo-jumbo, and is it all kind of confusing? Yeah. Is it kind of pointless? Yeah, the way the way conventions have gone, because we haven't had a broker convention in forever, uh, which is honestly a good thing. I think the last time that happened was 1968 and there were riots and that was not great. Um, so what happened was Bernie Sanders, you know, has to be nominated by someone. Someone has to second that nomination. He accepts that and then says, hey, I'm going to give my stuff to Biden. And that was not well explained. And that is annoying. But what to me is more annoying is that the. AOC, who has been a huge Bernie supporter forever, they're both democratic socialists, they're both wonderful politicians and and really fight for things that matter, um, is that she was given that job because that job is a pretty thankless job. Hey, we're going to nominate the guy that, I'm going to second the nomination of the guy who's losing. Um, And we all know it, we're already supporting Biden and we're going to do everything we can, but like now I'm going to talk about the guy who lost. So why are you wasting one of your party superstars who is already a lightning rod and people are already looking to attack from both sides? Uh, and what, you know, why are you putting her in that position? So that's, that's one thing that I think was really frustrating. So you have the lack of the lack of explanation, which, which accentuates criticism that was going to come no matter what, but that also deprives her of being somewhere else in the convention. And I think that's what bothers me more is AOC is as good of a politician as we have. She was a bartender, you know, two years ago. Like, she is a real person that people can connect with and go, like, I've done that job. Uh, you know, last week I talked about in my um, in you know, my What to Watch, like, I, I talked about Taking Down the House, which is the documentary that focuses a lot on her campaign in 2018. And the start of that campaign is her, at, you know, in the bar, like, scooping ice. Like, mm. so many people have done that job. And if you can connect with her on that human level, if you have a chance to show some of that footage and tell that story instead of this big, bad AOC, like, ah, progressive coming to take whatever, coming to steal your cows or whatever dumb thing Fox News said this week about her. And you get to see that very human connection because she's such a gifted speaker. Like, that is a missed opportunity from the DNC. And I understand, like, Chuck Schumer's the Senate Majority Leader, but, like, I didn't need to hear from Chuck Schumer this week. (laughs) Get rid of Chuck Schumer. Give me more AOC. Yeah. And that's, you know, so when we talk about, you know, going back to, you know, connecting all these dots here, that big tent party idea of trying to get more people into the tent, 
it's, it's a lot of people, progressives especially, were like, I can't believe John Kasich got more time than AOC. That's not the right complaint. You need both of those people. You need John Kasich, a lifelong Republican, to be able to tell other Republicans, hey, it's safe to vote for Joe Biden. All these crazy things about him being an Antifa general, like that's bullshit. You know, you can vote for him. You're, they're not going to come take away your guns or they're not going to do all this crazy stuff that, that the Trump campaign is trying to scare you into. It's okay. And in fact, it's the right thing to do to vote for Joe Biden. We need people that will listen to John Kasich to hear John Kasich. But there's also another group of people that need to be heard and spoken to, and that is the activist community that is so powerful within the Democratic Party and has really done an amazing job in the last four years of setting exactly what this party stands for. And AOC is at the absolute forefront of that and not giving us a bigger chance to hear from her and her platform, not to mention elevate someone who is going to be one of the future stars in the party, I think is a really big missed opportunity. Yeah, no, I, I hear your argument for sure. She definitely is gifted. She's young. She's talented. She is very well spoken, very well liked, um, and she will be a force to be to be reckoned with in the, in the upcoming years. Uh, jumping into the actual speeches and actual uh, communication of of everyone, you know, whether it was Dr. Jill Biden, uh, you know, President Bill Clinton, Michelle Obama, I thought just knocked it out of the park, staring down the barrel of that camera. You know, yeah. talking to the American people, let them know why our current situation is not healthy. We have to, we have to get them out. We have to move on. We have to push this country forward. She, she's another one who's stri- extremely gifted, uh, very well spoken. She connects on a level like, honestly, like uh, unlike anyone else in that party. Uh, she, she's incredible, and I, I think her, her message uh, resonates very, very well. Yeah, I think you and I can both speak to this as, as the air talent uh, piece, people who have done these kinds of things on camera. That is extremely hard. I just tried to say in- extremely and incredible at the same time, and it turned into extremely, uh, incredibly, extremely difficult to stare down the barrel of a camera with no audience, with no kind of emotional feedback and just deliver a speech and have it be that raw and authentic and, and real. Like I was amazed at how well Michelle Obama did that. And I, I know Michelle Obama's Michelle Obama, but like still like as someone who doesn't do that very often, like that's just to, to be able to like summon that human emotion from inside her. Like that was, I was just blown away on that alone. Nevertheless, the actual substance of the speech. Yeah, no, she, she was, she was, that was awesome. And I, and I, and I love that, like, the, the speeches are, are really kind of in and out. Like, they're less than five minutes, um, generally. And Yeah, a lot of them. It, and, and it gets their message across pretty quickly. You know, it, it, you connect with people. It's, it's kind of funny because, you know, usually these speeches, they kind of drag on and people tune out and they kind of lose interest. And kind of the way of the world, like short and sweet, like get in, get out. It's kind of, you know, that's just kind of... Our attention span uh, isn't like it used to be, you know, years ago. And I like that, how they're doing that. I like the format of that as they're, they're hitting their notes, they're hitting the messages, and they're getting out. And it's, it, it's, and it's resonating, and it's leaving a mark, which is great. No doubt. And I think there's been a consistent message of hope and, and promise. And, but also, you know, everybody needs to be in this together. And whether it's Hillary Clinton or, you know, Joe Biden or Michelle Obama or— who John Kasich, you know, everyone said, like, we need to do this together. This is not a which is the polar opposite of what Trump campaigned on in 16 and what I'm sure he's going to say again next week at the Republican National Convention. Like, I'm the one who can do this. I, 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 I No, it, for the Democratic Party. The message is we, 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 we yeah. can do this. Uh, and, you know, that was Bernie Sanders campaign slogan. Not not me, us. 
Um, and so the idea that this is going to take collective action, that yes, Joe Biden is an amazing person with this amazing story that has shaped his life of service and, and you know, grief and, and all these things that have been really well told. At the end of the day, he can't do it without us. And, and I think that is a really powerful message that they've done a, a really good job of, of getting across. And I agree with you, too, on the timing thing. Um, and we'll see how long Biden's speech is tonight. But um, both Michelle and Barack Obama's speeches were a, a little bit under 20 minutes. And these are like the final speeches of the night. Like these are the, the quote unquote long ones. Jill Biden, same thing, right on 20 minutes. Kamala last night, whose speech I got. The man, the moment that she accepted the nomination, talking about her immigrant mother and like, you know, she gave birth in that hospital. There's no way she would thinking that 50 years later, I'd be standing here saying this. I accept the vi- the, pre- or the nomination for vice president of the United States. Like when she said that, the way she set that up, I got chills. Mm-hmm. I had tears in my eyes because, and, and that should cross party. Like I would hope that if a Republican who I vehemently disagree with had that same moment of that same immigrant story, that same like by the bootstraps American story, there's a lot of patriotism that I, that doesn't do it for me. That stuff, man, that that gave me chills. And I'd hope I'd have that same feeling even if I got like, man, that's an awesome story. Congratulations. And I hope you lose in November. Like I'd hope that I have that emotional attachment. And I'm and seeing that to happen to Kamala and, and the way I felt that, um, that was pretty special. And that was that was really cool to see. Um the other side of this though, as we get to this week's the other side of this is the anti-Trump argument. And, you know, a lot of people have said a lot of things about Donald Trump over the years, and uh, they've pretty much all been accurate. He's a terrible person and a terrible president. But it, it is a different gravitas, Joe, when Michelle Obama and then ultimately Barack Obama say things like this. So let me be as honest and clear as I possibly can. Donald Trump is the wrong president for our country. He has had more than enough time to prove that he can do the job, but he is clearly in over his head. He cannot meet this moment. He simply cannot be who we need him to be for us. It is what it is. I have sat in the Oval Office with both of the men who are running for president. I never expected that my successor would embrace my vision or continue my policies. I did hope, for the sake of our country, that Donald Trump might show some interest in taking the job seriously, that he might come to feel the weight of the office and discover some reverence for the democracy that had been placed in his care. But he never did. For close to four years now, he has shown no interest in putting in the work, no interest in finding common ground, no interest in using the awesome power of his office to help anyone but himself and his friends. No interest in treating the presidency as anything but one more reality show that he can use to get the attention he craves. Donald Trump hasn't grown into the job because he can't. That is a powerful message. He kind of has been laying low as far as voicing his opinions on uh, President Trump. Um, I'm sure there, while Trump kind of always kind of goes after Obama for silly things and still continues to do so. I think this was Obama's message to finally speak up and say to the American people, look it, something needs to happen. Uh, you know, we need, we need to change in the time is now. Cause if we don't do it, we're in deep trouble. 
Yeah, and, and for you know all the things that people would say about Barack Obama critically, and most of them honestly were in bad faith, and a lot of them were racist, and yada yada yada. Like no one would ever say he didn't take the job seriously. Like I would say the same thing about George W. Bush. Like George W. Bush did a lot of terrible things as president. Um, just I mean the Iraq, the Iraq War. Like there's so many things that he did that were absolutely dreadful. The tax cuts like caused a lot of economic issues, and obviously Obama inherited those when he came into office in in 2009, but. Like, I would never say George W. Bush didn't take the job seriously. Like, he, he wanted to do a good job as president. Unfortunately, you know, his policies led him not to do that. And his decision-making was poor. But he took it seriously. And I think that indictment by someone who's done the job, who understands the stakes, who understands how awesome the power of the presidency is to go, this guy not only hasn't taken it seriously, he's incapable of taking it seriously. And for Michelle to say the same thing as someone who's seen it firsthand as the wife of someone who was doing that job, like there is a different gravitas to those two saying it than some pundit on MSNBC or CNN or even Fox News, even to a Republican voter. Like, yes, again, we're not talking about the people that think Obama is, you know, they believe birtherism and they think he's some radical leftist Kenyan Muslim who did God knows what. Like, those people, they're lost, and I, I still would love to figure out how to reach them, but I, I, it's not in my bag of tricks right now. <laughs> but for anybody who, like, takes this seriously, for anyone who's paid attention to hear an, a, another American president— say this guy can't do the job he's not up for it i think that is strong about as steep yeah that's that's about as steep a criticism as you can get not i disagree he can't do the job and now sports where joe what do we talk about sports baby sports we got some basketball we got some baseball uh to talk about baseball's probably not gonna be a very common topic on the show but uh we'll get there in a second uh nba playoffs right now uh your celtics joseph Mm. Joe from Boston. Hey, dude. How, you? <laughs> how about how hey, about man. the C's? How about the yeah. C's up there? Jason Tatum looks yeah. fantastic. Tatum, love dude. him. Too bad these games out in the garden. All right, I'm done. Uh, Celt- your, your Celtics look fantastic right I now. I mean, uh, I think they're going to be a team to to be reckoned with, man. I mean, they look strong. Coaching is strong. Uh, they're getting up and down the court uh, at, at a at a at a rapid pace. They're healthy. They're moving quick. I mean, I don't know. It's obviously very early to tell, but I, you know, I'm, I'm biased. That's my squad, uh, but I, I think they look pretty good. Yeah, you can't get a better coach than Brad Stevens. The way Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum is your plan, I think you're right too. The pace thing is is a great point because they're so young and athletic that, and like Kemba, I mean, even some of their veteran players, like Kemba Walker, so quick. You get him out in transition, and they're such good decision makers. Don't turn the ball over a ton. Like that's when they get in trouble is when all of a sudden they get sloppy. But generally speaking, they take care of the ball. They're a smart team. They're tough as nails defensively. Guys like Marcus Smart, who by the way is like the greatest Boston. He's the perfect Boston player. He's scrappy. He's feisty. And his name is Marcus Smart. Yeah, yeah. It, it um, really checks all the boxes. It really does. It's fantastic. But what's interesting, what's actually more interesting to me is the the team that they're beating up on. And I was pretty adamant after the Sixers loss last year, like you got to give Embiid and Simmons more time. You got to keep that team together. You got to let them develop together because they're still so young. And a year later, I'm ready to change my tune. Um, and part of that is what they did last offseason. And they bring in Josh Richardson and and just decent amount of money tied up in him. Obviously, that was part of the Jimmy Butler sign and trade. But they also, the, the big one was they signed Al Horford, who's 
terrific player, but it's been a little bit of a wonky fit uh, with him and Embiid. But they signed him to big money, and they just don't have a lot of flexibility in that roster. And if you look at, okay, Joel Embiid's definitely the guy you build around. You pick him over Ben Simmons, with all due respect to Simmons, who is a legitimate all-star caliber player. Um, there's only one way to get better, and that's by trading Ben Simmons. And so that's one of the really interesting things about what's going to happen between, you know, NBA Finals and Christmas is like, you're going to have this crazy NBA offseason that's not in the middle of the summer. And I think you could see some pretty significant upheaval in some of these teams. And I would be, if I'm, if I'm the Sixers, I like the player I would want is Chris Paul. You're not going to get him. Um, at least I don't think I, I doubt Oklahoma city would be like, yeah, here have Chris Paul. Um, but maybe, maybe for a young guy like Ben Simmons, you know, and is that a move that, that Philly wants to make financially? I don't know. Cause Chris Paul's getting paid a boatload of money the next couple of years, but a point guard who knows how to control the game can actually get the ball to Embiid because that's their biggest problem right now. They can't get Joel Embiid the basketball. They don't have a, a like a actual game managing point guard to do that. And someone who can shoot. And they need shooting around Embiid to give him more space to operate. And uh, I, th- I think, unfortunately for them, as well as they drafted over the last couple of years, last last offseason really set them back in, in signing Horford because they just lost all ability to be flexible. Yeah. No, it's interesting to see how, how the offseason is going to play with, with, with both those teams and if a trade is imminent because, you know, are they going to free up cap space? Are they going to be able to make these kind of big moves? That's that's going to be very interesting. Another big series that I've been watching, obviously, of course, in Los Angeles is yeah. the Lake Show uh, with the Trailblazers. I mean, just watching Damian Lillard is so exciting and, and so fun to watch. He is just shooting lights out. He is, he is a great player. And I think it's fair to say that he is the best player in the NBA today. Ooh, that is uh, not Where a statement. I'm, I, he's been, I, I will say this. He's been the best player in the bubble. I don't think he's the best player in the league. I think the best player in the league is the, the guy still on the other team. I think LeBron, when he decides to go, like LeBron was fine the other night. He had 23, 17, and 15. It was the first 2015-15 game in NBA playoff history. 20 plus points, 15 plus rebounds, 15 plus assists. And he just did it like kind of casually in a loss. Like, that's how good that guy is. And he's still a great defensive player when he wants to be. Um, the want to may not be quite as much as when he was younger. Part of that is energy conservation. But when he, like, really gets after it, um, he's still the best. Um, but Dame Dame is certainly up there. Like, I, I keep wanting to put, like, Luka in my top six, you know, whatever, and say, like, all right, after, you know, after LeBron, Giannis, Harden, Steph, and uh, you know Kawhi like is Luca next? And you go, you go no, like you gotta you gotta put Dame right there too. And Luca, by the way, also playing the other LA team, is just out of his mind right now. Like Luca's insane. But the thing with Dame that like is so magical. Like honestly, if you could take anyone and put him in Philadelphia, give me Dame because you want to talk about creating space. He's hit thirty six foot shots twice in the last <laughs> week. Like it's, it's amazing. Th- that's. That's preposterous. That's so far. Like Joe, if we went to try to to just an empty court and tried to shoot from thirty six feet out, we would airball more than we would make. Yeah. And like you and I hoop. Like we're we're regular recreational basketball players and men men who uh, can lift some weight. It's not like we're weak. That yeah. shot is so like I, it it is really hard to describe how far a 36-foot uh, shot is until you are 36 feet away from the rim and staring at it going, wait, I got to shoot from here? 
And this mm-hmm. dude's just pulling up like it's nothing. It's it's wild. So yeah, I think defensively, like he he is smaller in stature and and isn't technically like the greatest defender offensively right now. He is as good as there is in the league, though, no doubt. Top ten player, no doubt. Uh, and I, he's I'm I need Steph to come back and be healthy so I can remember how good Steph is. But right now, um, Dame is the best point guard in the league. Like he's yeah outrageous i think it's fair to say and it's interesting because you know being down in the bubble there's no really road team or Mm -hmm. there's no really home team i guess so it's interesting to see these players kind of just like shoot lights out and there's like no distractions and you know you don't get caught up in a traditional traveling when you're a road team and then the you know the home team getting in your face and getting the support of a of a of a home you know home squad it it's it's interesting to see how these players are kind of taking that and it's a lot of these guys are just—they're really playing really good, really good ball, and it's—it's—it's it's, it's fun to watch. And you know, credit to the NBA—they've done a great job with this bubble thing and continuing play, and giving back and and and, and giving the fans what we want. And here we are in playoffs, and NBA playoffs are the best, and, and it's, it's very exciting to watch. That's a great point on the home away thing too, because like imagine if all of a sudden Portland—you know, let's say the Lakers win tonight—we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. You know, Lakers win tonight. Uh, it's one one, but then you're going back to Portland one one, and and that Portland crowd would be crazy. Or the same thing in Dallas, like the Dallas crowd would be awesome. You know, going back one one after they've split uh, with the Clippers. Same thing, Orlando. You know, they they go to Milwaukee. Like, what would an Orlando crowd be like? That's not necessarily known as like a a raucous arena, but um, you know, not having even even like for the Bucks today, like. How are they? You you'd have a nervous arena in Milwaukee. Like, oh my God, are we going to go down 0-2? How do the Bucks respond to that? Instead, they're just out down there in the bubble with no crowd, and, and that's a really good point too. Um, other sport played in empty stadiums right now. Uh, Major League Baseball. This was just uh, I wanted to just flag this um, because look, this I will admit this is low hanging fruit, but there, there's a bigger issue at play here, and it drives me nuts. And I think it's important to point out every time every time this comes up. A couple days ago, Padres, Rangers. And Fernando Tatis Jr. uh, is up at the plate, bases loaded, eighth inning. It's a 3-0 count. Three balls, zero strikes. And the Padres are already up big in the game. So pitcher's like, eh, he's not going to swing. He's probably just going to take this pitch. Grooves one down the middle. Tatis just blasts it. Grand slam. And all of a sudden, the Rangers are mad. Why'd you hit a grand slam? It's wrong for you to hit a grand slam. Joe, I thought these were pros. <laughs> I, I, I never, like, I never well, get that. Yeah, baseball's unwritten rules can absolutely just be flushed down the toilet. Well, I mean, remember, I mean, you played ball as a kid, like you remember Little League and Babe Ruth and all that. Like when it's a three zero pitch, you look down the the third base line, and your the the your third base coach is telling you to swing away because you know it's going to be a, a pitch right down the right down the pipe. Right. So why is that changed for major leagues? Like this is something we've learned. In, in, in literally, 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 league. So, because you have to respect the game. That, that makes no like, sense. This is you know, this is what pros do. By the way, football does it all the time. If you're a football team, you're up by four touchdowns, and you're on the twenty, you're gonna jam it in and get in the end zone. That's just that's just competitive nature. So I don't get that. Right, you keep playing, and like, yeah, absolutely. You know, this this is equivalent. Oh, I'm running. You know, let let's say in football, you're trying to run out the clock, right? And all, you're on your own forty yard line. So all of a sudden, the blocking works. One, are the offensive linemen not supposed to block right? So they, it, oh my god, we only want to gain four yards. You know, whatever. No, they're they're going to go and be like, okay, we're running the ball to keep the clock moving, but. 
if we block it right and all of a sudden I'm a running back and I get loose, I'm not just going to slide down in the middle unless it's like the last play of the game and, and you know that would literally end the game. But if there's like eight minutes left and we're up three scores, I'm not going to stop running to ch- right. be like, oh, I don't, I don't want to hurt your feelings, so I'm not going to score the touchdown. Like, no, I'm going to go silly. score. And see, the thing is with baseball, though, baseball has all these unwritten courtesy rules. And let's be really frank about this. They're racist as hell. Like, it's all the white guys saying, like, oh, this is how we play here in the Major League Baseball, the United States of America. This Go watch Korean baseball. The bat flips, they, like, throw the bat into the stands. <laughs> like, it's insane. <laughs> so it's not coming from there. Latin players have gotten in, trub- in quote-unquote, trouble for years in Major League Baseball because they play with more pizzazz and fun than, than American baseball is. Like, it's a purely American and white American tradition, some of these unwritten rules, and it's racist as hell, and it's really stupid. It robs the game of fun, and it, we're protecting people's egos that are professional athletes that are being paid to do a job. You don't want to give up a grand slam, pitch better. That is always, you know, you don't want someone to bat flip for hitting a home run. Don't give up a home run. And if yeah. you do, guess what? They get to celebrate. And guess what? The same rules apply to you as a pitcher. If you strike them out next time, you can fist pump. You can do whatever you want. Like, yeah, there's a line across. You don't want to be like a total jerk. But these these unwritten rules, man, like it's 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 actually like it's less serious than most of the race issues we have in America. But like it's a race issue and it's bullshit. I mean, don't take the fun out of the game. Great point. Like baseball already moves slow as it is. It's you know, it's not the the powerhouse sport as it once was. And you know, every year they lose viewers. People are just not engaged in baseball like they used to because it moves slow. Like, let people have fun. Like, really? Is it we're gonna make it a big deal about that? Like, swing away, bro. Swing away. White people making things less fun for centuries. Look good, feel good, do good. We give you something to watch, something to feel good about with your health, and something to make yourself more useful in the world. So look good this week. Uh, Joe, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole. I'm a huge Trevor Noah fan, and I just I wanted to see some more Trevor Noah stand-up. So the other day, uh, I was just, you know, like my YouTube is, has a bunch of recommendations for him because I've watched so much of his stuff, and it was like top Trevor Noah videos of 2019. And I was like, sure, why not? And it was all stand-up that I hadn't seen. Because I've seen all of his Netflix specials and everything. But a lot of these were international shows. And I cannot recommend this enough. Go check it out. He's got such a great worldview on, on, and perspective. And you'll learn some stuff about other countries. And you will hysterically laugh along the way. Highly recommended form of education. Trevor Noah stand-up on YouTube. Just go find a bunch of random stuff. And specifically, this one was the, uh, his top 10 videos of 2019. Solid. I, I think Trevor is very talented, and uh, I will absolutely actually go do that. Uh, Bold my, take. Trevor Noah, talented. Yeah, super, super, super talented. My uh, my uh, look good was uh, uh, hopping on HBO Max and uh, hit and play on uh, just a classic, classic movie from 1990 with Steve Martin and the great Rick Moranis, My Blue Heaven, if you haven't seen it. Uh, just phenomenal. Uh, Steve Martin in his prime, Rick Moranis, one of the greats in my opinion, uh, and it's it's so funny. It's it's a good movie. It's about Steve Martin uh, joining a witness protection program, basically because he was in the mafia, and Rick Moranis is the FBI agent that kind of oversees him, makes sure he stays safe, and you know they Steve Martin <laughs> comes Chicanery across other, ensues. Yeah, Steve Martin comes across other witness protection folks who are out hiding out in San Diego instead of New York and it, it, it's, it's great so uh, that was my look good this week 
It was uh, it was beautiful, Johnny. Hey, beautiful. All right, my feel good this week, Joe. I mentioned something new the other day, and you go, "We are talking about that." Should I should I explain my schedule on on many weekdays, or do you want to just dive in? Yeah, let's just dive in. Basically, uh, this week's feel good. Uh, our boy Craig likes to take naps now, which is fine. Uh, this gentleman takes naps probably a few times a day, from the sounds of it, and. It sounds like he's doing it like right after he wakes up, like two to three hours after his wake up. This dude is napping. So, and I get afternoon naps. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's healthy. The body needs to rest. But I'm just curious about the nap schedule that you're on, if you can dive into that. Yeah. So basically, here's the deal. Uh, I, with the NBA playoffs and especially this week with the DNC, so like I've watched the, the, the convention. I've actually had the two TV setup going, which has been nice. Uh, but convention, and then I'll catch the fourth quarter of the late game, and that's not ending till like midnight. And I have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday mornings. I have a seven a.m. session at the gym, so I got to get up. But then I, once I get done, because it's only one hour, I get home at eight a.m. I'm done, and I don't have anything until like an eleven o'clock meeting. So I just figure, why not go back to sleep? Why not take a, a nap from? 8.30 to 10.30, finish off my sleep from the night before, get up at like 10.30, and then go on with my day. So is that something, are you actually tired, or you just you just like laying down, you just like doing nappy no, times? No, I mean, I'm pretty tired. Like, I'm tired when I get up. I power through the session. Like, uh, Wednesday, yesterday, I was like, I brought my coffee with me to the gym and was like, I'm not having this. I'm just going to go home and go back to bed after this. Sometimes I have some coffee in the morning and then sometimes I won't go to, you know, if I don't have a meeting, like on a Tuesday, I don't have my 11 a.m. meeting. So if I don't have anything else going on in the morning, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll make breakfast, do whatever. And a lot of times it's after breakfast, like you get a good meal in, you feel a little heavy and you go back to sleep at a little post breakfast nap for an hour. Yeah, no, I, I get that. But the other thing is you got to be careful because if you sleep longer than a standard nap, then you're going to screw up, you know, that night's sleep pattern. So, you know. Yeah, I'm just I'm like, concerned about you. Just heads up. I, but if That's I already right. know, if I already know my my nighttime sleep is going to be a little condensed because I'm going to stay up late watching something, I have to get up early, which is a problem I run into every June typically but during the NBA playoffs. But now we're obviously in August. Uh, same same deal. Like I want to watch the late game, and so you know you can make up your sleep somewhere else in the day. Okay. All right. Well, look, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna judge you. I'm gonna make fun of you, but uh, you know I just want to make sure you're getting the proper seven eight hours a night. You know, you are, you are sleeping uh, correctly. You know, you have proper pillows. You're <laughs> elevated, and we're we're just looking. At, look at you got a lot of fans out here. We're just looking out for you. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. All right, do good this week, Joe. You had a great piece of advice. I'm gonna let you take this one in totality. Your advice this week to do good. Yeah, call your grandmother. I call mean, call your freaking grandmother. Or I mean, it could be any grandparent. Uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Art, on Facebook, he uh, made a post about uh, his grandmother who just turned 106. That's incredible. Um, born in 1914, this woman lived through just about everything. Uh, she lived through the Spanish flu, which was uh, a big deal. Uh, you know, that we're obviously referencing Some uh, these people days. say it was a very big deal. Yeah. Uh, a couple world wars, uh, you know. Uh, a market crash, uh, all types of stuff. And I just thought that was really cool. He made a really great post about her. And it made me think, you know, hey, call your grandmother, call your grandfather. If they're not around, call your parents. You know, just check on people. You know what I mean? That's it. It's it's kind of simple. You don't really oh, need it. to text. Just pick up a phone. I know it's kind of outdated. People don't like to talk on, uh, on phones anymore. Okay. Hop on a Zoom. You know, it's, it's very 2020 of us. And just check in. 
say, hey, send some flowers. You know, write it's a good note. Good for the soul. It's it good, is for, the good soul. for the soul. Yeah, like naps Get- at ten a.m. Okay. All right. Easy. All right. <laughs> and and you know maybe maybe there's like a, your grandmother has a cool recipe that she always carried down from uh you know what, what during the holidays or she baked something that was always family tradition and you want to start taking that over like talk about that kind of stuff like you know we have the time just you know why not I love it I love it and always always when you call your grandparents make sure you ask about them because they're gonna ask you a million questions about you because that's what grandparents do return the favor ask yeah. them about them well said. Call your grandmother, call her with a plan, and uh, have that plan include asking about what they're doing. That's right. And tell them you love them. That's a big deal. Tell them you love them. And that's how you do good this week. Joseph, show number two in the books. Good on you, my friend. I'm glad we got through this. Uh, It was a little little weary in the beginning, but here we are. Uh, Nevertheless, we persisted. (laughs) Nevertheless... We marched on. All right, brother. Uh, Good stuff this week. We'll continue on. And thanks, everyone, as always, checking us out. And we will see you soon. Subscribe, rate, review. Come back next week. We'll see you then on Chasing Interest.